Hey, 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 welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. Today we chat about preparing for your level two. It's one of the most frequently asked questions we get. All right, I've taken my level one. What can I do to prepare for my level two? And whether you have your level one, whether you already have your level two, or whether you have no intention of getting either, you're going to learn a lot about coaching development on this episode. Fern and I have taught hundreds and hundreds of seminars over the years, and we've seen what the best coaches in the world do, and we've seen what some of the worst coaches in the world do. So we're going to break it down for you, give you some actionable steps. That's right. This is one of the few podcasts out there in the CrossFit space where we give you actionable steps on every episode. A lot of people will give you this broad brush overview of what works, what doesn't work. That's not our thing. We're not interested in that. We're interested in, hey, you want to improve? Here are some things you can do. Here are the things we do to get better. So if you're interested in that, you're going to enjoy this episode. It's all about preparing for the level two. Speaking of, we put out there about our mentorship and we are just about full. We got the beta test going. Actually, by the time this goes live, it may be too late, but if you're still interested, hit us up on social media at best hour of their day. If you hit us up and you got our email, you can't wait much longer. You got to make a decision because we're getting going. We're moving forward and we want to get this out there. The demand is there. We're helping people develop as coaches. We got some other cool things going, but this is your opportunity to work directly with us. You want to get better at coaching. You want to grow your box. You want to chase virtuosity. Here's how you do it. Two people that have been in this industry forever. That's right. Forever that have done it all, seen it all, been a part of some big, amazing things. You get to work with Fern. You get to work with me. You get to work with best hour of their day. So if you're interested, hit us up right away. Don't hesitate. And you will love it. I'm telling you, we're going to put some good stuff out there. We are big fans of doing things right. And that's how we do things with best hour of their day. So hope you enjoy. Hey, also question for you guys. I want to know who you think is going to win the CrossFit Games this year. Hit me up on social media at best hour of their day. Let me know who you think, men and women. And did you see that Tia went to Noble today? Pretty cool. Pretty excited about that. I've never had a pair of Nobles, but maybe I'll uh, check them out one day. But for now, I'll stick to my Reebok Nano 9s. So enjoy today's episode. Hit us up, share, follow, like, tweet, all that good stuff on social media at best hour of their day. We couldn't do this without you, our fans, our listeners. We appreciate you. We love you. Here you go. Preparing for your level two. Listen to us chat all about it. All right, guys. Welcome back to the best hour of their day. So first and foremost, we're going to change the format just a little bit. And we're so we've been getting a ton of questions. We've been getting a ton of feedback about um, we put out some stuff about an online course. We've been getting a ton of questions in the DMs. People have been trying to slide in there real heavy. And so, and we got a ton of really good feedback about our Q&A with Donnie Forbes. So we are going to try to do that on a periodic basis. I'm going to be up in Boston with Denise Thomas, Austin Maliolo, James Hobart later this month in July. And we're going to do a Q&A with those three. So start sending your questions there. But in order to try to start getting more and more questions answered, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to lead each episode with at least one question that you guys have sent in so that we can give you guys our thoughts on that. 
Uh, and then the episode for today is going to be prep for the CrossFit Level 2 certificate course. Uh, so we're going to dive into all the things that we think is going to make you successful there, how you can prep for the course, what we see the gaps are, and just kind of set you up for success when you get to that course so that it is as beneficial to you as possible. So um, Jay and I are here today. We were in person last week. We're going to do this one over Zoom again, but uh, we'll be together at the games at the end of the month. So tons of good stuff coming out. Again, we have tons of podcasts that we still haven't even launched that you guys are going to love. So, Yeah, I'm excited about the games. I, I, I think we've said it before, but the games, so I was in a fraternity in college and you were in the military and I'm not comparing the two, but you know, there's similarities as far as the boot camp and the pledging process. And when I think back on pledging my fraternity, which was like 10 weeks of, you know, fun, but torture. And it's like some of the fondest memories I have in my life. You know, my closest friends were in a basement getting beer thrown at us, doing push-ups. And I look back and in the moment, I was like, why am I doing this? 20 years later, I'm like, how do I go back and do it again? And judging is the same. <laughs> yeah. I've heard numerous people talk about this. I've heard Brian Shantas talk about it. I've heard Andy Stump talk about it. I think I've heard Pat Sherwood talk about it. And generally, they're folks that have, have done some significant training uh, in the military. And the, the, the two things that you have to combine to create camaraderie are both suffering and laughter. And if you can combine those two things, it creates a very, very strong bond between individuals. So if you think back about all the people that are your best friends, those two things are present together. And those are the memories that you generally think back that are the fondest, not necessarily the time, but like later on down the road, you're like, God, that was terrible. Like, how did we do that? So yeah, that can be the games as a judge is, you know, suffering and laughter for a week long. That's really eye-opening to hear. I've never looked at it like that, but you know, my other, you know, really that's a CrossFit community, right? We, we that's suffer exactly what it is, but you know, the other people in my life that I, kind of consider it on that level are my jujitsu buddies where you, you know, you sweat, you, you know, beat each other down, but you, you know, shake hands at the end of every match. And I think that's why those are the people that I kind of look for in, in my life as my good friends. And, and yeah, I think, yeah, you, as you're saying it, the, the cross, any box has that, but yeah, the games is, is a lot of suffering for us judges. We'll see. Like, who knows? It's going to be a little different this year, but I have no doubt. I mean, I go back to the story, and I've, I think we've told the numerous times, and I talked about it with Tasia when she was on the show. But by the way, we're we're that we're we're like old people now, where we tell the same story all the time, and people are like, <laughs> "We heard that. We heard that story, Grandpa." Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's better this time. Um, you know, when that time we went to Aromas, what was it? Three. The last year we were in Carson, and we went to Aromas. I mean, we got dismissed from our judges meeting at probably 10 p.m. And yep. it's like, all right, you know, be back here too. It's like, all right, if I fall asleep right now, I get four hours of sleep. Yeah, you know immediately I mean? before yeah. I get to my room. You know, and that's like, I have to eat dinner. I have to pack. I have to set my alarm to get down here and then be, it's like, hey, let's let's remove sleep now. Let's start feeding you peanut M&Ms now. <laughs> and let's see what happens in seven days when you are uh, – judging the final heat of women. 
And the tough part about that was that was early in the week. That was like the oh. first or second day. Like well, we hadn't just, even got to, we hadn't even got to, I think that was like Wednesday. That was a, uh, yeah, I want to say that was a Wednesday because I believe they had a day off and then they went right back at it. So it's like, and it's not like, Hey, all right, guys, we know you got up early sleep in tomorrow. <laughs> we yeah. actually, if you're like, be at the beach 7am. You're like, oh, oh, we yeah. did have to be at the beach, but we also got delayed coming home. Remember how late we it, yeah, I don't think I got that. That was a that was something to the tune of a twenty three hour day, if I remember correctly. And it was oh yeah, at least. And it was one of those days where you look back and you're like, what happened? But because none of us really knew. I just remember. I think you told this story where one of the games athletes was like, asked you a question. Who was it? Uh, I it was like it was like what time is it? And you were like, go look yourself. <laughs> I forget you told the story on the show. I don't remember who it was. So she asked you like some question. It would be basically. I was like, I'm, I'm not your dad. Yeah. All right. So what's our, um, you have the question. I have the question. So this question comes from um, a gentleman named Brent Wagner. He was just uh, at my box last week and he and his wife are considering opening a gym. So he currently coaches in an affiliate and he had a question about, um, basically whether to use video when coaching. So I think that guy messaged me as well, actually. Yeah. Super, super sharp dude. He's a five-time state championship track coach in, in Kentucky. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. They got some good stuff going on and, uh, they're considering kind of playing around with some stuff. Um, but, um, example, uh, I'll tell you what to do and you show me what to do verbally and physically, uh, then you do it. Then I can show you what you're doing wrong. If that doesn't work, break out the iPad, right? So like the base, the basic question is, and this is, this, I don't get this question as much anymore, but like, is it appropriate to use video when coaching? Yes. I think it's just like anything, it's relative. I, you know, I don't know if it was the same guy, but part, what I said to him was, it's certainly a valuable tool, tool. Don't rely on it. And you have to be able to coach fast and on the fly. That's cool if you're working one-on-one, someone's doing something. I'm, just the other day, we have this woman, Alice, who listens to every one of our podcasts, by the way. So I want to give Alice a shout out. I love her at the box. She's not one of the members I don't like, for the record. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she pulls early on everything. And I think we were doing, I want to say cleans. I forget what we were doing. And I, and I videoed her just to show her. Because I think sometimes people don't really even... Uh, understand what I'm saying you know if, if you're new to the sport of CrossFit and you're like you're pulling early what does that mean when is it happening show me so in that lesson it was good because it was after class and I just kind of pulled her aside I was like you know on your iPhone you can kind of scroll and I'm like right here see how your elbows have been it's you're not up tall and she it made a little bit of sense and then it got to be what can I do to improve that but if that were in the middle of my workout I'm not going to like stop Alice Look at this video. You know, that's where I have to, when I worked with Rip, it was always a cue reminds you of something that we've talked about. And now I can yes. say, straighten your arms. You know, I don't have to say, remember that video? It's like, she understands that connection. Yeah. And then I think, I don't know if it was the same guy again, but one of the things he was bringing up is sometimes your athletes don't believe you. And it's not that they don't believe you, but they're like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, uh, here's the video. No, they, they never believe you. This is yeah. what I bring up in the level two, which is the, so, and, and actually this is a perfect question to segue into that. So I agree with you. And one of the things, you know, like a perfect, 
a perfectly appropriate time to use video is probably like on a heavy lifting day when there's significant breaks throughout the hour when people are lifting you have time to interact show them a video and do that but if you're running around with your phone during a metcon that is just probably a bad idea and what i was telling brent was said hey listen like it's okay to use that tool but what i think the question we really need to ask ourselves if we're using video is, is this video for me or is it for them? Am I using the video because I can't see it at speed, which is fine, but you need to do that after the class. You can't be doing that real time. Um, but it, it is a good way to illustrate, like, can I see dynamic faults at speed? And if you can't, then maybe video and studying prior to class is a good way to try to sharpen your eye. But it's just probably a very bad idea in the middle of a metcon when it's fast paced, I don't have time to do all of that. But in a heavy day, it's perfectly acceptable. Like it's a great coaching tool. It should be a lever that you can pull on, not a crutch that you lean on. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, there, there have been times I've videoed somebody hitting an Olympic lift because I truly, I knew something was going wrong, but I couldn't see it. And so, you know, slowing it down, like technique and intensity often is a easy way to improve. So. Use it, don't rely on it. And um, if, if anything is helping you improve, yeah, lean on it. Yeah, and there's some other things in there, like we're trying to set up a 30 second video delay in our weightlifting area so people can watch their own video, right? So if you can get that set up, that's a cool, it's a cool way to, cool thing to get set up. That's really cool. One, yeah. For a short period of time at Albany CrossFit, we had a live camera and you could watch it at home. And yeah. it was like, people would actually watch it. It was, you know, probably 2010, it was super choppy. Like if any more than five people got on it, it got super slow, but it, it was flashed. fun. Yeah, it wasn't like meant to, you know, spy on my coaches or anything. It was just something cool so members can see what was going on. Yeah. I tried everything when it would come out. Yeah, so this, I think this is a perfect segue into the episode, which is like prepping for the level two, because in the level two, it's very heavy on coaching, uh, evaluating people's coaching ability. And one of the things we talk about there is visual cueing, which involves me as the coach demonstrating to an athlete what they're doing wrong and what I want them to do. So in some respect, a visual cue is your real-time video playback. You just have to be very accurate about how you go about using both of those tools, right? So, but if I'm pretty accurate with my, with, with my ability to display faults, it can be just as effective as using video. Well, let's, I think we should kind of give an overview of what your level two looks like. But while we're on that, let me just say, most people give verbal cues, I'm sorry, visual cues improperly. Correct. Most people's visual cues become some sort of glorified verbal cue with a little bit of pointing on their body. So let's be clear. So when we get to it, if we talk about, you know, visual cues again, it's, this is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. If you can, if you can do that better, you're already going to improve your ability at a level two. So this is what you're doing. Demonstrate the movement, exaggerate a little bit, maybe give the athlete that you're helping an idea of where to look on your body. So let's use hip extension. We're doing a medicine ball clean. They're not opening their hips. Hey, look at look here on me. This is what you're doing. Cool. Now look in that same spot. This is what I want you to do. And don't exaggerate good movement to the point that it's bad, but make sure you're moving well. 
<laughs> I, I disagree. I think you should exaggerate the shit out of their faults because everybody thinks they're doing it right. No, the, no, I agree. Exaggerate the, the fault. I was going to say, don't, when you exaggerate the good movement, you can't exaggerate it to the point that it's now no longer good. You have to do it well. Yeah. But you have to make sure you're doing it well, which is where demonstration comes in. But this is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. Less talking, that should be it. Yeah, it's got to be yeah. short. Hey, do this, not that. Let's. So, okay, let's say... Give everybody give everybody an overview of the level two, okay. like what, what they can expect. A, if you are not thinking about taking a level, your level two or you're on the fence about like level one, if your five-year revalidation is coming up, take the level two. They both have a test now, so take the level two. You will be a better coach when you leave there. Absolutely. And, you know, I... I at some point, I don't know about the prices, but you know they're, they may be different. They may be the same. Either way, the value is there. If you've done your level one, do yourself a favor. Take your level two. You and I are both in plenty of the Facebook affiliate groups, and there are people that are like, should I do it? Why? If, if you care about CrossFit, you care about coaching your box, you're going to develop. I mean, I learn. I'm teaching a level two this weekend with Todd. I will learn from him. And I yeah. work with Todd all the time. I learn from you. I learn from Donnie. <clears throat> you, you have to be developing. Um, so, so, you know, we would recommend at least six months. Most people that show up to their level two have been doing it probably three, four years or at that cusp to revalidate. Truth is you can show up and you can be the worst coach, pass the test, and you're a level two trainer. You know, so there's there's definitely the the coaching aspect, which is intimidating for most, most people coming back. But other than the feedback you get, it doesn't matter how well you coach. There's a test at the end that you'll take, but the course of the weekend, you know, looks similar to your level one, except rather than breakout groups where you're learning, you're, you're seeing, you're correcting and you're teaching. So the first breakout group, literally, we're just saying, Hey, what do you see here? What's Fern doing? What's he doing? Right. What's he doing wrong? Next breakout group, now let's correct that. You have some different athletes. All right, we see that this athlete's on their toes. What cue would you use? How would you fix them? And then it's going to become a one-on-one -on -one teaching. And then ultimately on Sunday morning, you're going to coach, you know, your group of maybe five to seven at most. Yeah, so in the level two, this is, for most people, this is their first opportunity to be evaluated on the six criteria. Right, so teaching, seeing, correcting, uh, group management, presence and attitude, demonstration, right? So for a lot of people, and, and the vast majority of that, we're gonna be working on seeing and correcting because that's generally where the gap is. Like if somebody's you know got a good personality, they're probably good at presence and attitude. Some people are a little bit better with group management, um, but largely it's the teaching and the seeing and correcting that we'll be focused on there because those are the things that we can really dive into. There will be examples of how to run classes there. <clears throat> And they'll get a lot out of that. But for you and your experience, what is one or two things that people could do to prep for their level two to come in there and be a little bit more prepared, having listened to this podcast than prior to listening to the podcast? Honestly, most people come into their level two and they've just not been evaluated. Right? So... And I, and I tell people this, you know, we give feedback and it's hard. This is something the participants care about. They're paying money to be there. They obviously love CrossFit and coaching. And then they're getting feedback, which is basically like, you're not as good as you think. And we say it nicely. And with, 
It's more specific, but they have to understand for one, you left your level one. And, and in reality, how many hours, you know, I think Spieler talked about it. It's like, how many hours did you coach? You coach in two a week for the last three years. Like it's a couple hundred hours of coaching. That's not mastery. So, you know, be honest with yourself. And then also, even if you are coaching more, how many coaches are getting regular feedback from better coaches? Not many. Because yeah. even if you coach at a box, a lot of times these days, the box owner isn't coaching as much as you do. Right? So, so they're yeah. not even able to give feedback. You have to, so I would say, seek out some, you know, if you're in the Virginia area, go to Fern. If you're in the North Carolina area, see Donnie. You're down here in Florida, see me. Anywhere in the world, there's someone on staff. And I promise you, if you find them, they are willing to have you come into your box. There's no one on staff that wouldn't be honored to help you for an hour or two. When I was developing and trying to get on staff, I went to Ben Bergeron numerous times across New England, and he let me coach his classes and gave me feedback. So get some feedback, but let's, let's dive into it. You, you, well, you went over the six criteria. Really, the weekend comes down to teaching, seeing, correcting. You know, you can improve your demonstration in the meantime, video yourself like we talked about, watch it. Um, your group management, you know, it's either one person or five. You should be able to control that. And presence and attitude, here, here's a big one. Be you, it's hard. You have a peer giving you feedback. You're coaching sometimes friends and, and coworkers. You have to overlook that and be who you are at the box because it's, I want to give you feedback on, on who you are, not who you're trying to be right now. Yeah. So like, and this is hard. It's one of those things where every weekend I start the breakout there and I just tell people just make mistakes guys. Like this is, this is like the safe place. It's, it's the trust tree in the nest. Like just go ahead, mess this up because that is what it's going to make it most valuable. Don't try to be, something that you're not like coach the movement however you coach it i don't particularly care how you coach it like i just want to be able to give you feedback for how you coach because if you fake it then the feedback that you will receive would not be accurate or help you out at all yeah let you know not that we're giving it in very specific order but one thing that i would definitely encourage people to do while they're there this is there is only do controlled reps so sometimes people will be you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you get to the one-on-one and you're like, all right, down up. Cool. Now do five. No. no. Yeah. And I'm just like, you didn't see anything on one that you controlled. What do you expect to see on these five? You know, so that might just be kind of throwing it out there. Never do that. Yes. And I, you know, I hate to say never, but if you're doing that, you should be thinking, why the hell am I doing this right now? And, and usually here, maybe let's just dump these out right now. Some, some things that we see go wrong often. That, uncontrolled reps. Um, I see this one a lot and it's more funny to me. Like, all right, guys, how do you feel? And I'm like, all right, if you're coaching people, they don't know how they feel. And I know, <laughs> and I know that you're only saying that because you don't know what to say. You're just, you're fluffing. And to me, Look, we coach breakout groups every weekend at the level one, and I know sometimes you're destroying people. How can you give them rest without blatantly saying, I'm letting you rest? How do I do that? Well, I'm saying that's the challenge. Do you have, if you have a way, sure. For me, it's like, hey, I'm going to teach you something and disguise it. You know, I am going to teach you, but really I'm letting your legs recover for two minutes 
without being like, hey guys, I hate when people say, shake it out. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, is that? They did six reps with a PVC pipe, they're fine. Yeah, and I'm like, does shaking it out actually do anything? But it's just like, it's nonsense. You're, you're there to coach, treat them like athletes, treat them like members. But go ahead. I don't know if you had an answer to that. Also. Yeah, mine's very similar to yours, right? So that's the presence and attitude and just having some kind of, you know, picking up on some social on some social cues when people start grimacing, because you've been giving them a lot of reps. Um, at that point, what I'm doing as I'm calling all of those reps is I'm, I'm stacking up like what are my what's my one or maybe two common faults within the group, right? So let's say it's the air squat. And let's say that the common fault that I see with the group is people are up on their toes or the heels are up off of the floor. Once I've kind of taken to that breaking point, I'm like, everybody needs a break. I'm not going to ask them how they feel. I'm not going to tell them to shake it out. I'm going to be like, I'm just going to stop on that next rep and I'm going to show some sort of demonstration. All right, everybody, here's what I'm seeing on this half of the group over here. John, Sally, Susan, James, you four are consistently up on your toes. So what I want the full group to do so everybody can get the value of this is pull your toes up off the floor for the next five reps when I call these. And I want everybody to take notice of how you feel your weight shift in your, in your feet just so that we can move our way towards a balanced foot. So you can disguise that break, but use it as a teaching point. And a really easy way to do that is, is there a common fault that I can elaborate to the group and maybe do a little bit of show and tell and then get right back to coaching again. Yeah. And, and here's, you know, typically it's, it happens at your level too. So if you're listening to this now show up with this, but my homework to people is know the foundational movement. So let's, you know, you're going to coach one. So let's say you're going to pick one. Let's, let's do the air squat. We've, and I think we've done this on our old episode, but say, so you do the air squat. My, my, statement is okay you need to know that inside and out so first thing you need to know are you know what's the setup how are you going to teach that all right shoulder width apart how are you going to get people shoulder width apart now what are the points of performance so for the air squat it's heels knees lumbar curve and full range of motion plus line of action so those are the five points of performance i remember them as heels knees depth arch line of action now know how you're going to teach that, but then also know each of those can be a fault. How are you going to cue them and have a verbal, have a visual and have a tactile cue for each one of those. So in my mind, and it's a very weird mind, I kind of see the air squat and then I kind of see these like three lines coming off of each one verbal. Let's, let's use midline. All right. Verbal cue chest up. All right. Visual cue. You're doing this and I would demonstrate a rounded back. I want you to do this. Tactile cue could be, I might just put my hand in their shoulder blades. Yeah. Cool. Now I have my three cues for that. None of those may work, but I at least had three. And if you show us, you saw it and you had a plan, that's huge. So you brought up something there, which I think is probably the thing that, in my opinion, people would benefit from the most prior to the level two, which is what I see people miss out on the most. So when we give that... <clears throat> effective coaching lecture at the beginning of the weekend. And we talk about teaching, we talk about that internal knowledge, right? So I have to take internal knowledge and then I have to disseminate that via some sort of verbal visual or tactile cue in very concise format. The internal knowledge is what I see the vast majority of people missing. And I don't mean they don't know it, right? I don't mean that the knowledge is not in there. I mean that they haven't spent the requisite amount of time 
so that that knowledge is readily available at any time without thinking about it, right? So you just talked about the points performance for the squat. If, if I, as a coach, have to think about that or have to go through my notepad while I'm coaching, then I'm not prepared to coach real time. So here's what you can do to be far more prepared for level two. You need to go through the nine foundational movements. Stick with those for right now. Go through every single point of performance for those nine foundational movements. So five is the most you're going to get for either for any of those, right? And most of them are overlapping. So if you're thinking right out of the bait, that's 40, right out of the bat, that's 45 things you have to remember. It's not 45 things you have to remember. Right. Like neutral spine, weight and heels, you know, like those two are pretty much involved in every movement. So memorize those for every single movement. Then memorize the faults, right? So the maximum number of faults you're going to see on any one of those movements is the deadlift. There's going to be seven, right? So memorize that stuff. It's not going to take you very long to do that. But what you're going to do is you're going to be ready to identify those things when you get to coaching. And then once you feel really comfortable with that, then you can take my points of performance, then I have my faults. And then next to that, I can have, okay, if I see this fault, then what do I do, which is where I take that visual verbal tactile cue that you have. And I try to use it. So if you take that, for instance, and I use a visual, verbal, and tactile cue for seven faults, that's 21 cues. That is a shitload of cues to be armed with and ready to use when you walk in to teach the deadlift. Just having done that, which I would tell you would take you 15 minutes a day for a week before you have it dialed in tight, you will be very well served when you show up to level two. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you say teach, see, and correct, people are like, okay, well, what can I do? to get better, learn the movements, you know, seeing and correcting, I need another human being and I need to be watching. And you can do a lot of that online. The CrossFit courses are great. Um, you could just watch videos of people working out and see what yeah. you see. You can go to your box and whether it's in your class, you're coaching a class, you're working out or hang out while you're doing mobility and just look at stuff. But you can't correct unless you know where to see and you can't see unless you know where to look. And you learn that at home. And I think you would agree. I mean, maybe tell your story. But for me, I took my level one in October of 2007. And I just started studying and learning. Now, sure, 200 weekends on the road later, this stuff is ingrained in me. But I was learning that stuff on day one just because I wanted to be a good coach. Yeah. I, you know, so people might, I just don't want people listening to this to be like, well, Fern and Ackerman are on staff. And they, you know what? We were doing this before we were on staff. Sure, giving the deadlift lecture is why Fern knows there's seven faults because that's how we remember what we're doing. There's five in the sumo deadlift title. There's six in the medicine ball clean. Sure, but we learned that over time and it's all out there. I mean, it's free. I'm sure I forget what you, the exact link, but if you search CrossFit trainer manual, you know, you can find it. There weren't videos of James Hobart and Julie Fouché 10 years ago when we were learning this stuff, it was, yeah, and you don't have to go to your level one or level two to learn this stuff. Like the level one trainer guide is on the internet. Like you can just open that thing up and learn it right now. As is our episode on the air squad and the deadlift and, and the, the sumo deadlift. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. You can go listen to those. But I mean, honestly, if you're going to go to your level two, listen to one of those episodes and make that the movement you're going to coach. Yeah. I mean, go show up with a plan, be successful. And, you know, the other thing I would say is know the progressions. Four Man, of the nine. Like you're reading my mind. Was I? 
Well, four of the nine movement, I always do this, you know, people will show up and say they're coaching the push press. And there's a, there's a clear progression we use every weekend for the push press. And someone will come in nine times out of 10, their progression is just slowing the movement down. All right, dip, go. That's not a progression. That's you've slowed down the push press. What is also not a progression is I'm going to show you the med ball clean. All right, now you do it. <laughs> right. That's not a progression. That's not a progression. You know, so whether it's one of the four movements with a standard progression, we and, and we'll say this, and Ch Chuck says it every weekend that you work with Chuck, like, hey, you don't have to use our progression. Just have a progression. Have a plan. Because the same holds true when we talk about that air squat, me going over each point of performance is, in essence, a progression. Yeah. So... And the, and the key thing about progressions, and again, like if you have one that you are really comfortable with and you like it, do a little litmus test on it, right? So like we recommend you use the level the level one progressions because they're they're vetted. Like Jay and I didn't come up with those. Like those progressions have been used on 100,000 plus athletes and they work, right? So if you use the progression for the push jerk that's in there, you can teach the push jerk to 10 random ass strangers in about 10 minutes. And they will do something that resembles a push jerk, which is an impressive feat if you think about it. When you're looking at a progression, if you want to make up your own, what is the progression for? Each piece of the progression should have a specific purpose for you as the coach and for the athlete, right? So it should break down one particular piece of the movement to take something complex and make it simple so that somebody can learn it. It should also really illustrate to my coaching eyes something that could potentially go wrong in the movement. So a good progression should check both of those boxes. It should simplify something that is complex for the athlete to learn it in pieces, and it should make things that are dynamic and fast easier for me to identify. Yeah, but let's be clear about something. If You said if you're thinking about making a progression, my answer is don't. Don't. And, and I mean That's that fair. I mean that in a way, just use the four. They're there, done. Push, press, push, jerk, sumo, della, tie, pull, medicine, ball, clean, done for you. For the other five movements, the, the three squats, the press, and the deadlift, I would tell you this. A, go find one on YouTube and steal it. You know, find someone coaching yeah. the level two. I think there's an old video of Andy Stumpf teaching the overhead squat at a level two. That's how I learned to teach it. Or maybe it was Justin Berg. I don't, I don't remember, but that's how I learned to teach the overhead squat. I watched it. But, it, but if you're truly like, okay, I'm going to make one up, use the points of performance. And like Fern said, so think about the, let's use the uh, push press progression again. Step one is dip. What Fern is saying is, okay, I'm teaching someone a how to dip, but it's also giving me a very specific place to look. I'm looking at, is their torso vertical? Is their shoulder over their hip, over their heel? Now we're going to dip and drive slowly. So I'm looking at, can they, you know, maintain that vertical torso angle? Do they find that proper depth before, you know, so they don't extend their butt back? Does the bar stay on their shoulders so we don't have to worry about timing? Then we do it at standard speed. So now I'm also making sure there's no pausing. They're not moving slowly. Then we do the full push press. So if you're doing something, if there's a step, it should be, what am I teaching them? But also now where do I look? Every step, you know exactly where to look. And that makes your job easier. So much easier. Like it, what you're doing is you're just making a layer cake. Side note, if you haven't seen that Daniel Craig movie, go watch it. But is that a movie? What's going on? Layer cake? Layer cake? Yeah. Okay. So everybody, if you have not seen both layer cake, Daniel Craig movie before he was James Bond. And you, if you have not seen the way of the gun, you're welcome. Okay. 
Um, I'm Googling it right now. Yeah, yeah. Thriller, indie film. Oh, Blair Cake. Yeah, I'm going to watch that tonight. Roz is away. And uh, oh, it's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm in. I'm watching yeah, Blair, uh, The Way of the Gun might have the best opening scene of all time. So just do yourself a favor, go watch it. Um, all right. So going back to that, like what I'm doing is I'm just layering points of performance on top of each other. And then what I'm doing by coaching it that way is systematically I'm teaching athletes what I'm looking for simply by, by teaching that point of performance. Yeah. We're just taking this complex thing and making it super simple. Cause if you just get people push pressing without doing anything else, there's so much going on and, and really, you know, and we'll tell that, you know, we have a meeting every Saturday, right? It's like, Hey, the progression is meant to get you to the movement. Don't belabor the progression. Three to five reps of each step. But in those three to five reps, I'm getting everybody better. Because, you know, the truth is, if they have a fault somewhere in there, try to fix it, but it's still going to be there. Know who those people are. Yep. And that's where your cues come in. That's where you have that. So some people struggle with what, like, what, what am I trying to achieve with the progression or like what uh, like level of movement? And I, what I tell people is it's, it's not an A plus in the progressions because you'll be there forever. So if you're trying to figure out like how good should they be moving before I move on in the progression and get to the full movement, my general guidance, and this is not, you know, gospel by any means is C plus to B minus movement, move on. Like I just need to identify some things that I'm going to continue to see in the full movement so that I can start formulating my plan. But like, don't try to make them move perfectly. It's not going to happen. Get them moving pretty well, move on, and then continue to correct and be relentless on cueing those, those faults that you saw in the progressions when you get to the full movement. Yeah, because even if you get them perfect, say we're doing a jerk now, it's like, okay, now once we start re-dipping or adding the PVC, it's like, even if they were moving well, new faults arise or Correct. anytime, you know, it's, it's like technique and intensity. We're speeding you up. I'm going to see more faults. Correct. But, but, but let's bring it back to the participants. Big picture is you're showing up with a plan. You, you don't have to, you should know all nine movements, but you should be like master of one when you show up to this level two, maybe two, because you want to teach different movements on day one and day two but you should have your plan. You should know where you're going to look. You should, you know, have your cues laid out. And, and something else you said though, right there is don't let your eyes get used to shitty movement, get to the full movement. But then when you get there, don't be that coach that does five reps and it's like, they're good. If, if you are done and it hasn't been five minutes on my clock, my question is, are they all perfect? And if they're not all perfect, coach more. Correct. And that's, that's the literally the exact same that I that I tell everybody I said. And this is something that I again, like, that I talked to Steve Haydock about a little bit, and I've seen him do it is from a coaching standpoint, this happens all the time. So I'll ask, so this will happen in the in the seeing drill at the beginning. Let's say we're using the, I don't know, the front squat, and I have people in the front rack position. And clearly, I will be looking at the coach who's who's trying to identify faults, and I'll see them visually identifying something like elbows are not at the appropriate height in the front rack. And then I'll ask them a question and I'll say, what do you notice about the front rack in that athlete? And they'll be like, well, their elbows are just a little bit down. And this is a mistake that coaches make. So remove things like a little bit kind of, or sort of from your vocabulary as a coach, 
All they are is excuses not to cue movement. That's all they are. The second you say, well, his elbows are just a little bit down, then all you've done is justified not correcting that position. So if it's not perfect, you're on the hook to correct it because it's different if I say his elbows are down or if I say his elbows are a little bit down. A little bit down suggests that it's okay. It's not from a coaching standpoint. So take that stuff out, make it very binary. Either it's perfect or it's not. And the reality is it's never going to be perfect, which means you're always on the hook to coach. Yeah, let, let me ask you this question. Lines or circles? So you can use both, right? And so here's the important thing about lines or circles. Obviously, we teach circles in level one because it's conducive to being very efficient when coaching. Well, and let's make it clear. What I'm asking, Fern, is you know, you're coaching five to seven people. Are you situating them? Are you setting them up in you know, three lines of two or, or a circle like you were at your level one? So here's, here's my answer. Like, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is, is, is if you as a coach know the pros and cons of using both, right? So if I'm in my affiliate, so if I only teach in circles with PVC pipe and then I have to, to give people barbells in my class, now I'm screwed because I never teach in that scenario. So understand how and where both of those are useful. So in an affiliate setting, when I'm going through and I'm teaching my class, I'm probably not gonna have people with barbells in a circle. They're probably gonna be in lines. So I just need to understand the pros and cons of both of those. And what I mean by that is if there's a circle, I can stay on the outside and I can pretty much see everybody at all times. If there are lines and I have to kind of penetrate that first row, then now I have a problem. Now I'm behind people and they can't see me and I can't see them. A pretty easy fix is there is if I have lines, figure out where the front of your classroom is going to be, which is generally the best place to be is in the middle. So let's say if I have six lines. I'm going to take three facing inward and the other three facing inward. And now I have something that kind of resembles a circle, but I want to limit the amount of time that my back is to athletes. And I want to limit the amount of time that athletes cannot see me. So those are the two things you have to ask yourself, whether you do circles or lines, I don't really give a crap. It doesn't matter. You're either effective or not when teaching both of those. And yeah, that really involves like knowing what the weaknesses of both of those structures are. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. If, if you're accustomed to coaching in lines and that's what you do at your box, do it for us. But I think people misunderstand. It's when you have barbells at that point, we're ten, typically warming up where this is more teaching. You know, PVC is like, I'm teaching you guys the movement equated to an on-ramp, equated to a new bunch of people in your class. So you might be more likely to have a circle, but then it's like, all right, guys, now go grab your barbells. We're going to warm up. You might still be throwing some cues out. You're still teaching a little bit, but that circle is where it's like, hey, this is a new movement. And bigger picture, like you said, if, if I watch someone do lines, almost always someone can't hear them. Someone loses interest. Their back is to someone. So be aware of that. If you're going to show up and be that guy that coaches in lines, be aware of that. And I always fall back on, there's a reason every Saturday and Sunday at level ones, we coach in circles for the last 15 years. Yeah, it, it works. It, it, it allows you to put your eyeballs on the most people. Um, and if you're going to use circles again, like that's not a, not a flawless strategy either, because if you put yourself in the middle of the circle, which I see happen a lot, immediately my back is to 50% of the group. So if you're going to be in the circle, there should be a clock in your head, which means I need to get out of the middle of the circle fairly quickly in order to basically broaden my aperture and see as much as possible. Yeah. 
All right. So we've, we've set people up for success on seeing, on correcting. You know, throughout the weekend, you're going to work out. Typical like your level one. Doesn't matter how fit you are. Show up. Do your best. There's scaling. There's a test at the end. You know, much of what's on the test we cover throughout, but it's stuff you should be researching before that. And I, I think the best thing you could do to prepare for that test is take the CrossFit online courses. Yeah. I mean, those courses lend themselves. They're, they're similar. I mean, the test that your level two is on your device, an iPad or computer. So it's similar to the videos you would see on these courses. You know, go watch some of them, watch people move. What, what else can we say about the level two, though? Teaching. What do you what do you think? What is the biggest mistake you see when people are teaching movement? So this like I've got a couple of things when particularly when they get to the one on one. So we get to the one on one and then also the group. And at that point, it's you have to teach the movement, see and correct when, when it comes to teaching. I think one people aren't layering it on. So it becomes either a complete brain dump and it'll be like three minutes in and they not moved yet. They just don't get to People learn better from moving, but layer it on. And like we said, give them breaks. That's your opportunity to do more. So, you know, you let's, let's take a movement like the press, which we've not talked about before. It might just be like, all right, I want you guys, let's focus on the setup. We're hip width apart. Here's how you're going to get that. You have a grip outside your shoulders. Here's how we're going to get that. Everybody show me that. So I've taught that. Let's talk about the pressing portion. We're going to retract our face. You know, so you can slowly layer that on and get them moving better one step at a time. What were you going to say about that? Very similar is most people tend to overteach it, right? So they, they use all the verbiage that they read in the level one trainer manual because they feel like that's what they need to say. When effective coaching actually doesn't even involve any of that verbiage. So you're never going to say quarter extremity, midline stabilization, you know, posterior chain engagement, anterior or posterior frontal plane, active shoulder. You're not going to say any of those things. Just you tell them what you, you shouldn't be. You should just tell them what you want them to do. And effective cues are short, specific and actionable, right? And that generally, again, I think we've talked about this before, body part direction. If their elbows are down, tell them to bring their elbows up. If the feet, if their heels are off the floor, tell them to put their heels down. If their grip is too narrow, tell them to wind up their hands. Don't tell them why. Don't tell them what you think is wrong. Just tell them simply what to do. That's it. And, it. and it needs to pass the mom test. And what I mean by that is, would your mom understand what you're asking her to do? And now, granted, some listeners are like, my mom does CrossFit. She's really fit. Your grandma, whoever it is. You know, I go with toddlers, right? So teaching a bunch of five-year-olds, right? So like, that's a, that's a very specific skill and you can't use any, any type of specific verbiage and you need to keep people's attention, which means I need to get to the point. Yeah. And a lot of times when people are correcting or teaching, like you said, they're using jargon that they think isn't jargon. So for example, they're, they're going over the med ball clean and they're like, all right, you have to open your hips. What does that mean? What does that mean? Or you have to get hip extension. What does that mean? Exactly. Like as simple as that sounds to us as CrossFitters and CrossFit coaches, my, my mom truly would not understand that. I mean, nor, would, nor would my five-year-old daughter. Yeah. I mean, neither one of them are, are stupid. Your daughter's crazy, but she's not dumb. 
right? But it, and my That's mom to be determined. She, she's my <laughs> daughter, so she's automatically starting at a disadvantage. She's too young to be determined. But my, I'll tell you what, my mom's not dumb, but she has no body awareness. So it's not that she doesn't know where her hips are, and she understands the word extension. But if I tell my mom squeeze your butt. That would make sense. I'm sure same holds true for Logan. Hey, Logan, yeah. squeeze your tush or whatever you say to- Yeah, jump higher, stand taller, you know, like all of those things, like make it simple. Simple sure. is better. And simple really, in my mind, and this is, you know, I, I think it was an Einstein thing, but it was, it was essentially like your ability to simplify a subject demonstrates your understanding of it. I think I said that. Probably not, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Einstein said something like the smartest people could teach it to a kindergarten. Yeah, exactly. something like that. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's what, and and people. I mean, what what is the most common jargon you hear? I hear active shoulders a lot because it doesn't sound like jargon. But if you think about that, like, what does active shoulders mean? If you walk down the street and you were like, "Hey, active shoulders," they'd be like, "What the hell does that mean?" Yeah, they would shimmy. Who does? So, there's someone on staff that does that. Um, what What is some other jargon? Um, well, the the, the one that I always the one that I always hear that has you know essentially like no meaning to me is tight. Yeah, tight. people just yelling tight, and I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what what do you want them to do? Like, yeah. Like what you know, or um, or brace your core. I mean, like that, and that's so. So I want everybody to understand we're not saying that those cues cannot be effective or they're not effective in many cases they are to a specific population who understands what the hell you're talking about but if you've coached an affiliate for i don't know more than two days you understand that the vast majority of the people that are in your gym don't know what that means and don't care they're just like i don't care what the action uh, at the shoulder is when i take it from a neutral position into flexion or extension. Like I don't care where the insertion of the muscle goes onto my joint. Like they don't give a shit. Like that's not where they're there. So you just need to tell them where to point their thumb and how to move their hand. Yeah. I mean, if you were coaching me and you were like active shoulders or tight core, I would know exactly what you mean. But the average person, you know, and most likely if you're listening and you're coaching, you know what that means. But just the, you know, the five-year-old or the mom test, think about that. And just short, like, like Fern said, if you're cueing someone and you've said more than five words, stop yourself. I think that's a lot. Just check yourself. Why, why am I still talking? Yeah. Cause, cause imagine now this is a workout. Could I have fixed that mid workout? So let's go back to Alice. She pulls early. What are some things I can say, you know, keep your arms long, flex your triceps, show me your straighten your elbow, straighten your elbow, right? Show me your elbow pits. Those are all short cues that, you know, Alice is a crossfitter, so she understands all that, but that my mom would understand. Yeah. So short, specific, actionable, teach the movement, get some reps in. You, you should have your, so some other things is you need to have your eyes on at least every individual once, at least once, if multiple times is better. You should coach till I stop you. You should coach yeah. till I stop you. Um, in addition to that, what I often do is, count empty reps. So I'll usually kind of hash mark every rep you do, be it of the progression. Say we're, you know, say you're on the full movement now of the push press and all right, you're like, go, I'll put a hash mark, go another hash mark. But I want to see, you should be queuing two to three reps, two to three people on every single rep. 
Now that's the that's the goal, but that's not going to happen on day. Okay, that might be a little high level. Yeah. But but take advantage of those static positions. So you have that rack position again in the front squat. All right, Jason, elbows up. You know, Susie, uh, point your lasers at me. Uh, you know, Johnny, loosen your grip. All those are three different ways to get three different people their elbows up. We haven't even done a rep yet. Down. Yeah. All right. So-and-so push your knees out. So-and-so lift your chest because they're in another static position at the bottom. Yeah. Stand. Take advantage. That's why earlier I said, don't just let them do reps. Take advantage of those static positions. There, that's actually another topic. And then we could probably I don't, maybe stop there because I don't want to overload people. There's, there's a lot of stuff in this episode. Go back so, and re-listen. Take notes. Yeah. The talk about static versus dynamic and how to manage that. You, you have to be calling out reps. And so what, what I mean by that is, you know, every movement has at least two static positions and the dynamic portion. So static is where they're standing still. You pick a movement, Fern. What's, what's a movement that you want to use? Just do the overhead squat. Okay, so overhead squat. Someone's feet are shoulder width apart, the bar's overhead. You know, imagine you're standing with the bar overhead. That's the start of the overhead squat, the static position. Right there, I can cue the seven people in my group every time if I wanted to. Now you have to balance how long am I holding people in this position, but it can be where's that bar relative to the frontal plane? Are they using active shoulders? Do they have external rotation versus internal rotation? Static. Now I'm going to say down. And when I say down, my eyes need to be on one person. So when we're doing the dynamic portion, eyes on one person. Now they're at the bottom or their bottom of their squat. Static again. Here's where I cue. All right. Pull the bar back. Push up harder. Drive your knees out. Wiggle your toes. Stand. Dynamic again. And now we're back to that static. So every movement has those. Take advantage of them. Move around. I would say this. And... and it might be a little, it's easier to explain in person, but say you have a circle. I want to see cross circle cues and we're probably diving too far. So I tell people, I need you to cue the person next to you statically. And I need you to cue the person across from you dynamically. That's who you're watching. And, and it's not that that's always the way it should be, but that forces you into that kind of rotation. Boom. I'm here. I'm there. I'm here. I'm there. And now I'm cueing the person next to me and I'm cueing someone 10 feet away from me. And that's how you get your members to think you're a ninja. Yeah. And so if, if you didn't pick up on that, what Jay's saying is like, okay, whatever your, whatever your group looks like a circle or lines before they move, scan the group. When they move, you're only looking at one person. And then when they get to the finished position, scan the group. Right. So it's that kind of, uh, I think Pat Sherwood had a video on this like years ago on macro micro macro so macro is the group micro is one person and then macro is the group again so um again there's a lot of stuff in this episode guys so go back take notes if you have questions about it just hit us up you dm us put questions in the uh in the comments and we'll answer them but that's yeah, let's a- uh, do that for this episode we probably spewed out a bit much on this but uh and we're holding back we can probably go for another hour but hit us up with questions specific to this episode and we can always do a follow-up on your level two. Yeah. So go check out that video on macro, micro, macro. And, uh, but that's static. The, the reality is like, you're probably not going to leave there being that much better at seeing dynamic movement. Like that just takes reps on your eyeballs. But 
you can practice seeing static positions before you show up and you can be even better at seeing static positions when you leave there. Like that doesn't take very long because you're just looking at a statue essentially. So practice that first. That's your low hanging fruit from a coaching standpoint that you can just cue the shit out of people in static positions. And we'll know that when we see it and we'll know that we need to work on more dynamic cueing. We're also aware that that just takes time, right? So then we have to do is dive into kind of like where you need to be looking for dynamic cues. And we'll do another episode on, you know, how to see dynamic cues a little bit better, but start with static. So that's the big takeaway. Start with seeing static positions very well. That will make your life very, very simple. What do they look like before they start? Is it perfect? If not, correct it. What do they look like at the finish of the movement? If it's perfect, great. If it's not, correct it. Perfect. And then, yeah, this was, this was a lot, but again, it's your level two. So you've probably been coaching a little while. So if you have been, maybe this was right, which where, where you needed it to be. And if you have questions, let us know, but you know, big picture, we can tell if you show up and you care, we can tell if you show up and you practice, we can tell if you show up and you actually coach versus cheerlead or, you know, just shuffle people from part A to part B to part F. And if, if you care that masks, we've discussed this numerous times, but if you, if you care, that masks your shitty coaching for now. And, and if you're open to feedback, show up, open to feedback, prepared to get feedback, and you're going to have a great time. Yeah. But more importantly, you will be a significantly more prepared, skilled, equipped coach, and that will help facilitate the best hour of people's day. Absolutely. All right, Fern. We crushed that. I'm not going to yeah. lie. That was good. Yeah. I mean, I think it's challenging. We, I think it's with any topic of CrossFit. I just truly enjoy talking about it. And can both you and I can talk about it forever ad nauseum, but. On a serious note though. So uh, if this episode was a bit too much, let us know. Yeah. Like, there, the, the episode, this is a lot in this episode. So there's obviously some bouncing around in there, but I think you guys get the gist and there's some big takeaways there, which is like, you know, prep beforehand, make sure you're coaching, pick one or two things to focus on before you show up to the level two and, uh, and show up with that plan. You know, that's the big takeaway. So. Perfect. And we hope to see you there. I mean, I'm sure if you sign up for one in the mid Atlantic to Southern Florida region, you might get one of us, maybe yeah. both of us. If you're, I mean, that's like, they probably, they probably charge you more for that. If we're both there. <laughs> <laughs> or they might give you a discount and be like, you used yeah. two clowns, sorry. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Chris for some nice feedback for us after his level one. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks, Alice. Hope that helped. I love to give Alice a little bit of a shout out. She's one of our number one fans. Um, and uh, Send us those questions. Send us questions. All right, we're out of here. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to best hour of their day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience. Do you have topics you want us to talk about, people you want us to interview? We are here for you the community. We're here to give back and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.